welcome to the Nonfiction Podcast. I'm Deborah Campbell. I'm a professor of creative nonfiction in the Department of Writing, and I am someone who has done actually a lot of interviews. And hi there, I'm David Leach, also a professor of nonfiction in the Department of Writing and the former editor, uh, uh, managing editor at Monday Magazine and Explore Magazine, where I also did a lot of interviews and, and worked with authors doing uh, interviewing. Uh, and I'm, I'm quite excited and a little bit nervous uh, about uh, this episode because I, I consider you a real kind of expert in this field. And I've got to actually sort of interview you about interviewing. So it's it's a, a little bit uh, meta and I, I know yeah, uh, I'll, I'll be very self-conscious about the questions and it's it's a hard thing to to teach as well. I never went to journalism school. Um, I was never taught how to uh, interview a subject. I, I sort of had to learn it uh, through through uh, trial and a lot of uh, error. Uh, but we have to teach it to students as as well. So I mean, uh, at just a basic level. What are what are kind of some tips for for doing interviews uh, for for people? Who who uh, have never done one before for journalism or literary journalism, or I guess any kind of nonfiction project? Well, maybe I'll start by uh, the, the way that I got started as a writer. And these, these starts that we have as a writer are often really, we're not necessarily aware that we're getting started because we are just say curious and want to know about something so we go and ask some somebody or we read something and then you know years later we realized that those things pushed us towards the kind of writing that we do and for me um, after high school I uh, moved to France I moved to Paris and I got a very strange job which was to uh, go to dinner every evening with at the home of a, a beautiful French socialite who held dinner parties in the evening and she wanted to improve her English so she had uh, given me an apartment to stay in and she would uh, have me come to dinner and speak English. Now, in speaking English, it wasn't like I was going to monologue and talk about my life. I was 19 years old. What did I have to say? And uh, she had very interesting people around the dinner table. So what I would do is ask them questions and they would talk. And, you know, people really love talking about themselves and <laughs> they do. And, you know, is there anyone in your life that is that interested in listening to you? I mean, we, <laughs> we, we, we hope it's our partner, maybe a good couple of good friends. And they actually, they are, they are interested. But at a certain point, they're like, I heard that story before. Um, but uh, when, you're, when you're interested in what someone has to say and you listen, you have a superpower. Uh, because we live in a culture where it's all about talking, talking and broadcasting. Uh, often performatively uh, on social media. Uh, we want people to listen to us, but do we want to listen? Well, if you, if you, if you do, if you're, if you're curious and interested and want to listen, you have a superpower. Um, and I, I think I started developing that um, when I was living in Paris. And also I would um, meet all kinds of people whose lives were different from my own. And I would 
just ask them questions and listen to what they had to say. And the year after that, I, I moved to Tel Aviv. I went to Tel Aviv University for part of my undergrad, did Middle Eastern studies. And what I used to do is I would uh, travel often on my own or with, uh, with a friend and go to Jerusalem. We'd sometimes go to the West Bank. We'd go to, say, Jewish Orthodox areas or Palestinian areas. And I would just listen to people and ask them questions. And I didn't really realize that this was a form of interviewing. I just found what they said was fascinating, it was just fascinating to me and expanded my way of thinking. Uh, and so I could ask better questions after a while because I had learned more. Uh, and so when I think about interviewing, I think about, first of all, having a conversation. Uh, so the, the microphone is actually in front of the person that you are interviewing and not so much in, in, in front of you. And as soon as you realize that, the self-consciousness lifts because um, they are the ones doing the talking. Uh, so I, I, I first of all think about um, what do I want to know? Where's my curiosity? And it might be a very um, clear thing that you want to know, a very pointed uh, question. You might want to know, what's it like to be a soccer player in the age of social media? Uh, that might be something you're interested in. So you're, you're interviewing a soccer player, but you're you're not asking them about everything in their life. You're asking them about what it's like to be a kind of public person who's an athlete and yet having to deal with social media and what do they deal with? Um, so you, you have a very narrow focus, but you might have a kind of broad focus. You might want to have a broader conversation than that. Um, as I did when I was um, a, a young person traveling and, and visiting people who uh, had really unique experiences and, and, uh, and unique ways of expressing themselves. So these opening up a space for conversation is, is the first thing that I think about when I'm, when I'm interviewing. There are, there are different types of interviews too. I want to make that really clear. A, a lot of the conversations I'm talking about, they would be um, when you're looking sort of broadly at what it's like to be a person in a specific uh, situation or place time um, but you might have you know th there's the kind of interviews that you see on uh, on television or or on on listen to on the radio where they're they're not necessarily going to be um, edited and put into a or put into a feature article or into a book and that they need to be they need to roll out chronologically so that kind of interviewing the interviewer really needs to have their questions in a in an order that is going to make sense on live radio, for example. Um, and so there's a lot of early prep. And I would say there's a lot of early prep in a lot of interviewing. Um, uh, and then, you know, there's, there's, um, yeah, I mean, it really depends what kind of interviewing you're doing. Sometimes you're just trying to get, uh, get, get your head clear about, about some aspect of the environment or science or technology or breakthroughs in understanding the collapse of bee colonies, what's happening there, what's happening to our bee populations. So you might not be, it might not be a sort of touchy-feely conversation, it might be a very uh, science-y kind of conversation. So doing a lot of early prep for stuff like that, really important. Um, so yeah, 
one of the one of the things that I really think about before I go into an interview is um, who should I talk to? Uh, what are my questions for that person? And how basic things like how how can I find that person? How do I get in touch? Um, who's the person that I should talk to? Who's the bee expert that I want to talk to if I if I care about bee populations and I'm curious about that. Um, so tracking tracking that person down, which you can do through through uh, looking online, social media, whatever whatever works. And then and then the other question is how do, you know very basic. How do I get them to talk to me? Why do they want to talk to me? Maybe I'm a student. Maybe I'm you know, or maybe I'm saying I'm I'm coming to you. I'm I'm writing a story for such and such magazine that's a that's a good way to approach but if you if you're not if you just say you're doing some free research um all all of our students are freelance writers right they're all freelance writers so they can all write a very polite and professional email um and introduce themselves i'm a freelance writer and i would like to talk to you for uh, a story i'm working on about x um, always aware that if you get in touch with someone like that, that they will look you up online. So you want to make sure that your social media profile is not, you know, going to scare them off. <laughs> so, Beer bongs and <laughs> yes, exactly. Maybe work on that uh, before you uh, approach them. Um, if you're writing for a publication, tell them who you're writing for, of course. Um, if you have previous publications um, that they're going to find anyway online um, or, you, or the ones that you would like them to see, say you've previously written something short for the Martlet, um, you might include a link because they're going to, you know, be curious. Who wants to talk to me? Um, so you're coming across as just basically you want to come across as a hey, fake it if you have to, but as a sane human being, someone they can trust, <laughs> someone who's not going to misquote them, isn't going to be careless, isn't going to malign them. Um, and a great way to get in touch with people is through other people. So if, um, if you talk to someone and they say, oh, you need to talk to my friend who is a beekeeper, they know all about bees. So then when you get in touch with this friend and this person's giving you their contact info, you get in touch and say so-and-so suggested that I talk to you, which is, uh, you know, automatically creates a little bit of a sense of trust, right? Okay, they have to reply to you because so-and-so is, 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 is the go-between on this. Um, so that's and, it. and it's often those kind of the next interviews, the, the person you get passed on to that tend to be the, the, the better interviews or kind of the access to the information that you're looking to. So, yeah, always asking who should I who else should I talk to is is a, almost a good exit question as well as in an interviewing I found. Oh, so much. I mean, the six degrees of separation between us and everyone on the planet. We can get, we, you know, the, the, that whole experiment that was done is really fascinating that everyone's really connected to everyone else. If you can find, and, and, and in small, in small subcultures like the beekeeping community, they all know each other. So um, you got, you actually can, can easily get uh, really great sources by just spending a little time talking to one person and not getting your all your hopes invested in the first person you talk to that they're going to be the source of your story no but they may they may lead you to a great person to talk to so that's just a very sort of getting started kind of thing 
a quick question around uh, that, and and uh, I got into kind of freelance writing, unfortunately, in a almost pre-internet uh, stage when I was uh, living in the Czech Republic, so I'd able to just call people up and, and in, my, in my very limited uh, Czech say, I think it was like, I'm Novanaj Amaretsky. I'm an American journalist, which I think carried a little bit more. I mean, maybe I was lying, but technically I was a North American journalist. And that would suddenly open all sorts of, of uh, doors and I'd uh, go and uh, chat with him. But um, uh, uh, I'm curious when you kind of move from, say, a, a more journalistic interview subject when there where there's kind of certain facts that you want to get or opinions or expertise to more of, um, I say, a creative nonfiction uh, situation where you're, you're trying to get kind of uh, extra details, situational details, emotional nuance, um, uh, how people felt at the time or what they were thinking, um, intimate details of the lives that they might be reluctant to divulge, but that you that uh, might be part of the story, or they might not even kind of think uh, uh, to give you those those kind of little uh, nuggets that distinguish uh, creative nonfiction from for more standard uh, nonfiction prose. How do you how do you conduct those kind of um, uh, interviews? How do you prepare for them? Where do you do them? Uh, and and do you ask different sorts of questions in those situations? Mm, yeah, and those are actually, to be honest, those are most of the kinds of interviews that I have done. Mm -hmm. um, those are those are the more conversational ones. Um, I think it's really important to be a human being in those situations because. Um, if you if you are uh, uh, coming to someone with that sort of posture of openness and curiosity and and listening, um, people do want to talk to you. But I find it's it's it can be important to kind of embed yourself in those communities uh, because a lot of it's about trust. And, and also these are really time consuming. These are not short kind of call them up 15 minutes later, you're done. Uh, that's a lot of what we think of in the, that's a lot, a lot of what happens in the news, in news reporting are really quick, uh, get the quote, get out. Um, I don't see that much of my work has been around that. Most mm -hmm. of it, a lot of it has been very immersive where I've spent a lot of time inside communities and cultures and gotten to know people very well. And a lot of the really great, great material has come from sitting on someone's living room floor, drinking a cup of tea, and uh, just um, having, a, having a conversation, and then, and then slowing down and saying, wait, uh, what happened then? Nice. How did how did you feel when that happened? Um, what was going on that day? When when exactly was that? Let's go back to that for a moment. And so, if you read the transcript of these um, these kinds of interviews, they would be really long and boring because I'm constantly slowing down the questioning to get into the details. Um, and uh, and it can take a long time. Um, for example, in a disappearance in Damascus. One of the main characters is um, my dear friend Ahlam, who was a remarkable, this remarkable, badass Iraqi woman who became, you know, a good friend of mine. We went through a, a lot together. We were, she was a, a fixer for, for journalists. And so we would go together to interview a lot of people that she had gotten to know. And, um, 
And, you know, with her, uh, I, uh, in the end, I interviewed for her for hundreds of hours. I have, I have hundreds of pages of, of, of transcript and, uh, and notes from our conversations and very often would go back to moments, things that had happened to her, um, things she'd experienced or seen and, uh, and slow down in the moment and go through uh, what that moment is so that I could recreate it then on the page. I think that's really important, kind of slowing down interview, because I think you can get so self-conscious that you kind of want to speed it up and you've got a list of questions and get to the next question. But that, all of those kind of uh, probes that you suggested, oh, tell me more or what did that feel like? It's, it's about kind of encouraging people to give their story rather than just the, the information. Uh, technical question, and this is like the, I think, the big burning debate amongst literary journalists. Uh, do you typically record your interviews or do you just take notes or are you like Truman Capote and you've got like 99% memory recall and all you have to do is dash back to the hotel and dictate it to Harper Lee to type up? Which uh -huh. of these three are you? <laughs> oh, uh, I definitely take notes. I, I tend to do a couple of things and it really depends on the situation. So if it's one of these conversational sitting down, talking um, it depends on uh, if they're fast talkers or not. So that's a strange thing to say, I know, but some people are really fast talkers. And so I would definitely tape. Um, and if we're talking about something really complicated or technical, I would definitely tape it. Um, but also when I've done hundreds of hours of interviews uh, with one person, as I did with Ahlam, um, I typed while she was talking because I typed very quickly oh, and the idea of actually taping and then listening to it just no absolutely not the hundreds of hours of that no sorry um, because often in it there would only be a few things that it were really an important part of what I wanted to capture so I would type really fast and that's I've got at least a hundred pages of that kind of thing um, and then I would read it over, you know, afterwards and go, oh, wait, there's a scene there. I got to I got to go back to that. And the next time I talked to her, we would go back and slow down within that particular scene. Um, so I have done that, you know, typing while I'm while I'm interviewing. Also the notebook. And it really depends on, you know, the situation. I, I know that, as you know, I've worked a lot in conflict areas. Um, I've worked quite a lot with refugees, sometimes with translators too, and then I can easily take all the hand notes. But it may be that there's, you know, I'm trying to get the atmosphere around something. So I'm also using my notebook to capture where are we, what's going on, what does it smell like, sound like, what's, what, what does it look like, this whole scene that I'm in, because I'm going to use that later on. I might tape at the same time. Um, I've done pretty much every kind of way of doing it but definitely um i found typing while interviewing but you have kind of have to know someone otherwise it can be a little bit alienating to have your laptop in front of them and type while they talk um uh so yeah i, I i've often just had the notebook there um and if if things are are really moving quickly I'm, I'll, I'll i'll tape at the same time um, but it, it all depends it's all very situational 
Interesting. Yeah. For my first book, and again, it's, um, this was after working for several years as a journalist, uh, and because it was kind of contentious about the, uh, the legal and emotional fallout after uh, the death of a young man kayaking in an organized race, I taped uh, everything and wanted to have it kind of uh, all there. And there was just hundreds of uh, hours of it. I think I may have hired grad students to transcribe it or even undergrads as well. So that kind of a boring grunt work. But I also I, I uh, had to convert it into MP3 and I would just put it on um, on um, a music player and walk around with it and listen to the interviews over and over until those kind of moments and those kind of uh, voices inhabited my head because it was a lot of it, it was about recreating uh, scenes and some of the other stuff would just kind of distill so I wouldn't even have to transcribe everything I knew exactly uh, what I wanted but but uh, yeah. absolutely yeah you don't you don't need to transcribe every every little bit of it, it you, you need to transcribe what you used but you know a lot of times uh, anything anything where I think there could be uh, legal issues or, or complexity that I might miss if I was just hand notes um, then I would always tape. Yeah. And I, a lot of magazines with their fact checking departments want your MP3 files. I, I had one story that I did on Al, Al Jazeera. Um, I went to Qatar and spent uh, six weeks in, in and out of the Al Jazeera headquarters there and interviewed a ton of people. I taped everything. Um, Al Jazeera being a sort of a major international broadcaster, but when I was writing it, it was kind of contentious, you know, related to the war on terror. And I think uh, ex-president George Bush had said some things about Al Jazeera, you know, being some sort of vector for terrorists. And so I taped everything. And then that that article was published in the walrus but it was republished in many places it was republished in reader's digest croatia for example oh, wow. and and Utney reader and another reader's digest and uh, several other places and every single one of them every single one of these magazines asked for my my fact check files and they wanted the original mp3s and so i had them Wow. You know, um, just having the hand notes wouldn't have been enough for these editors because it was a contentious story. Um, and so that that became really important. So, yeah. And also, you know, we really can't write hand notes as fast as uh, taping goes. And sometimes if you're if you're dealing with someone, I said fast talker, but also people whose um, English is a second language, you really um, might misunderstand or misquote uh, them. And that's a, a no, no. So shorthand's uh, a lost art. I certainly never had it. John Krakauer yeah. uh, actually makes that point in uh, interview as well. And he just says, OK, go out and do an interview, tape it and take notes at the same time and then That's compare. Yeah. Yeah. But he says then compare the two and you'll see how much you kind of leave out or get wrong, even if you have like absolute confidence in your note taking. Uh, Absolutely. I, I like your method in the sense of kind of uh, taping uh, and then also taking notes that you can kind of consult but also to kind of gather all of the neuron verbal contextual description and and nuance that is so important to scene setting well maybe one last question and it's it's one that kind of always scares, scares writers or journalists just even like the the ethics or the challenges of doing a difficult interview of like interviewing somebody who doesn't want to be interviewed or maybe is kind of particularly vulnerable about uh interviewing um i, 
don't, I remember one of the tips I was always given is is leave your recorder on when you're leaving the interview, um, because all of the best things uh, are are often said there where you're saying your goodbyes and the person says, oh, one more thing, a little a little maybe dubious. Um, uh, do you have any kind of suggestions, thoughts, questions around that when you're kind of going into uh, an interview that might be a little bit um, uh, the interviewee is a bit reluctant uh, and has a sense of, of potentially being uh, betrayed uh, by a writer? Uh, yes, and, and where, where you might be going in also and knowing that you're going to ask them a question they're not going to like. Yes. Um, so there's, there's a, but there, there are different types of, of contentiousness in, in interviewing. But one of the tips that I use and that I find is really helpful uh, is silence. Oh. You're not going to fall for the bait, David. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> yes. So, it, you know, if, if, if... That was excruciating. I felt yeah. my heart rate rising. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'll, I'll cut it in the editorial process. Yeah. No, no. No, no. Leave it there. And, and every everyone who listens to it can also feel like they want to talk right Absolutely. so that that psychological tactic of just not filling in the silence that we 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 feel as as, as social human beings um it can be really useful to just use it so so not allowing yourself to speak and uh, they will feel it then your subject will feel it and they will keep talking mm -hmm. so that's that's number one i recommend everyone just try it try it the next time you have to interview someone even when you're talking to a friend and they they clam up about something just don't say anything see what happens nice making space that's one and the other is that if i've got a really if i know i'm going to enter into a really tough question with someone and perhaps um i don't want it to be a hostile interview but mm, th there's some tender areas spend some time uh, asking the easier questions first and establishing rapport. And, uh, but make sure you ask your hard question. I think that there's this belief that we have to make people happy, I guess, or that we should avoid tender areas. But people often do want to talk about something that's, that's uh, it, it, they often want to have their voice heard. So be willing to ask uh, questions about a sensitive area and let them decide if they're going to tell you or not. Um, but you might want to first work on establishing a, a relationship with them before you go there. Yeah, they always have the right to say no or no comment or whatever. So. But you've given them that opportunity. You haven't Absolutely. denied them it. Absolutely. Yeah. And the opportunity to tell that kind of full story in all of its complexity and, and difficulty and, and emotional shading as well. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, this has been a fascinating interview for me. Uh, I hope I've done my job as an interviewer. Again, I'd, I'd love to leave a little bit more silence here and just hear you uh, go on and on. But I think these are... These are, these <laughs> Don't are get of... me started, David. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the other thing is, as well is what, what I miss is, is being in a room with you and having this conversation over a coffee and, and the particular challenges for interviewers right now. Yeah. having doing things over the phone or zoom and and not being have those kind of uh physical connections and and uh situations but all face all to of face that. is always best yeah
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, I think that's all for now. We'll uh, save our we'll save our other questions for our next episode. Oh, fantastic. Thanks again, Deborah. Talk soon. Talk soon.